Awesome. Thanks, Sam. All right, it was an immense pleasure I get to invite my mother up on Mother's Day. So why don't we give her a round of applause? And I'll just resist the urge to make a lot of jokes now. Yeah. So <laughs> no, I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Father God, I'm um, just going to pray for Mum, Lord. I just pray you bless her today. I honour her as my mother. Um, I honour her as a person and a person in your kingdom, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I just pray you would just really speak through her, that the word you put on her heart would just really touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you want to stand? Um, I just had a picture. I went to the movies this week. Movies are fabulous for getting examples. And it was called Six Minutes to Midnight. Has anyone seen it? Okay. Yeah, it's average. But... <laughs> but in this movie, it was about a group of uh, German girls who were in a boarding school in England who'd been sent over by the Nazis to kind of become agents and infiltrate um, England because they were planning, you know, what, for what Hitler was planning. Anyway, they had to do this thing all the time where they had to go out and practice with all these lights. And the whole um, purpose of that was so when um, they wanted to bring in planes from Germany that these girls would all stand and make a runway. And I, I felt that I had a picture of this church that, um, that I saw people down both sides holding up these torches that would make a runway, not for um, the enemy to come, but for people to be able to land. And you know, the thing that makes it possible for people to land is to have a lot of light and uh, to make it like really welcoming. And I just, I really, I saw this big field of very rich grass. And I think you've got, I haven't been here for a couple of years, been waiting for the invite. Um, <laughs> But um, uh, I think I love what you've got here. I really do. I really believe this, this is new wine. And to be able to have a very whānau-centred church, the worship's awesome, and uh, to allow the Holy Spirit to flow, that, um, unfortunately, has become... doesn't happen a lot in churches now. It's become very program-orientated and... Um, so I just think you've got something wonderful, and I just see that people are, there's going to be a safe place for people to land here. Um, anyway, I wanted to talk to you this morning about a book I've read, which I've fallen madly in love with, and um, I have to acknowledge the author because I have taken quite a lot from his book. And his name's uh, Dane Ortmund, and he's a theologian, and he's written a book called Gentle and Lowly. And this is about... Um, what Jesus, how Jesus describes his heart. There's only one place in the scriptures where Jesus talks about his own heart. And this is um, where Jesus talks about who he is and describes his heart. And a lot of my thinking and writing for this has been inspired by the book, but also because it's been very much what God has been speaking to me. Um, you know, he's been talking to me what love looks like when you go through pain. And um, being an extrovert, I've always had a large group of friends, so when anything was going down with me, I would be able to just go and sort of talk to the friends and process it, and process it until I was sick of it, and they were sick of it, and, um, and talk to the family, and that kind of worked. 
But in this last couple of years, I've found that that hasn't worked for me because actually it's Jesus I need to come to. And Jesus is skin on in people, but there was an intimacy and a calling that God was calling me towards him. And uh, for some reason, it's taken me a long time to see it. And I got to the stage where I knew none of my friends could help me with the way I was feeling. I knew my husband couldn't help me. They can support you. But it was only Jesus who could come and help me with the way I was feeling. Probably last year would be the worst year I've been through relationally with people. And I've, I love people and I've always had lots of friends. And so for me, that was just like, oh. Um, but I'd have to say, I'm glad I've been through it because I feel now I'm where I'm meant to be. I'm closer to Jesus. And uh, I've experienced more healing through coming closer to Jesus than I have in years of telling my friends all the time what's going on. That doesn't mean you say you're off the hook and you won't ever have to hear another few ravings. But um, So let's just look at the scripture and see what this really means. John 6, 35 to 37. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Who who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I have said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one that comes to me I will not cast out. Now that's the bit I want to emphasize. He is saying he will never reject the one that comes to him. The problem is not in him rejecting us. The problem is that we don't come to him. Now, you may think, you know, like extroverts can do it that way. Introverts can just be inside themselves and still not coming to Jesus, still not creating that space, still not learning what it is just to be quiet before the Lord and let him speak to you. And I've found to go for a walk and cry um, and just pour it all out. The next day, I woke up feeling so amazing, and I thought, this has been what I should have been doing for years, except I've been expecting other people to meet my needs in that way, and sometimes our expectations are unrealistic, but, um, you know, uh, the interesting thing is what Jesus is saying here is he's talking about, about why don't you come to me? There's no one else who's as accessible and as approachable as Jesus. But I know through my own heart and our common humanity that a lot of us won't be accessing Jesus. We'll be doing all kinds of other things, but we will not be accessing Jesus. Matt 11, 28 to 30, come to me, he's saying. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That means he's naturally, he has a natural humility. He is gentle. He is not going to be angry with you. He is going to be gentle with you. Even if something needs adjustment, he will be gentle with you. And what I think happens is, um, who qualifies here? The heavy laden. But I wonder if sometimes we read that scripture and we think, oh, it means I'm doing too much. Um, I, 
you know, I need to come off this, stop doing that, stop. No, it's not actually about that. It's about what you're not doing. You're not actually coming to him. And you know, this scripture is not about Jesus removing physical loads from your back because it says in Galatians, there's two scriptures in Galatians. Once, once, one place it says to carry your own load, but that, that Greek word there means that's like a little backpack. Like your daily responsibilities are your daily responsibilities and you're to carry those. But then it talks about let's carry each other's loads and that word there means like a huge big boulder. And I think they're the kind of things where they're physical burdens and perhaps emotional at times, burdens that people have which we need as family, as whānau, to help them with. But when Jesus is saying, come to me, he's saying, I will unburden you of your sorrow and your sin. You see, no other person can do that for you. And that's what he wants to unburden us from. Because his yoke, when we believe in Jesus, we should not carry a burden of sin. That doesn't mean we don't sin, but we should be going back to him all the time. Not over obsessively confessing, but resting in who we know he is, that he has forgiven our sins, that he died on the cross for our sins. And it's really interesting that we can easily, like I was talking to this lovely young guy um, who we love very much, and he said, oh, I haven't, I'm talking to you and, and Phil about it, but I'm not sure I'm ready to talk to God about it. And I'm like, he knows about it but he, he felt ashamed. But I believe him, and, and that can happen that way. We really encouraged him. We said, you are talking to God about it now. You've confessed it now to us and just encouraged him that there's nothing that you can't bring to Jesus. Interesting, Jesus got so angry with the Pharisees in John 5.40. Again, it's all, if you keep looking at the references, it's about the coming to him. He says... Um, you are busy analyzing the scriptures, frantically poring over them in the hopes of gaining eternal life. Everything you read points to me, yet you still refuse to come to me. So you can do your quiet time every day um, and read your Bible, but you can still, it's, it's like with husbands and wives, you can be in the same house together, but you may not be having meaningful communication. And at times, that, you know, that happens. Even in a good marriage, we've got a great marriage. But you can just be like, I'll oh, pass the cornies or whatever it is. Um, and you think you've got no idea what's going on in that person's heart. Or you're not sharing with them something in your heart. You see, you can go through all those rituals of reading the scriptures. But if you are not looking for Jesus in the scriptures, if you are not asking him to speak to you, if you are not personalizing those scriptures you're not really coming to him and that's the thing it's come to me all those who are heavy laden and he'll put a yoke upon you that's easy you see we are meant to have a yoke but we're meant to be yoked to him and he's big ox and we can be little ox and he'll take the weight but we can cooperate with him 
and we can work together with him. But if you are bound down with heaviness and struggle, I have to suggest to you, like, like myself in many stages of my life, that I am not yoked to the Lord. I'm yoked to my own expectations, most commonly, and lies that go on in your head. Because he is gentle. He will unburden us. And it's interesting, even when Jesus got angry with the um, Pharisees for turning the temple into a place of um, gambling and selling and that, the major reason he was unhappy was it because it was stopping the people, the Jewish people, from coming and offering sacrifices for their sin so that they could be unburdened of their sin. Sometimes we see God's laws as stopping us from having a good time. But his laws are all about, are actually all about making it so that we do have a good time, that we can access God. That was the only access they had, and it had been taken over and turned into a den of thieves. His heart was towards the people who could, could no longer come and sacrifice because he made that way, imperfect though it was, for people to access, to be relieved of the burden of their sin. But as we know, the only one who can truly uh, relieve us was the great high priest, who, who went through the curtain, who went through the, had the blood, and that we wouldn't have to keep offering it every year. It was a temporary, inadequate, merciful thing until Jesus came. Incredible to think you could know all the scriptures and you didn't know Jesus. It's highly possible though, isn't it? What's he offering us? I will give you rest. Who doesn't want rest? And as I said, rest is not about chopping every job you have off. It's about what you're not doing. Because it's what, it's usually not the physical stuff we're doing that wears us out. It's what's going on in here. And only Jesus, people can help you. He can put people in place. Um, people can help point you to Jesus, I believe. Um, very much so. And one of the problems is, do we really believe that we can come to him? And if you just put that slide up, there's a slide. And it's a conversation in this book between a person and Jesus. We say cautiously approaching Jesus, you don't understand. I have messed up in all kinds of ways. I know he responds. You know most of it, sure. Certainly more than what others see. But there's perversity down inside of me that's hidden from everyone. No, I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past. It's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. Well, this is the only person I'm here to help. This burden's heavier and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. 
Not for me, it's not. You don't get it. My, direct, my offenses aren't directed towards others. They're actually against you. Well, then I'm the most suited one to forgive them. But the more and the ugliest you see in me, the sooner you'll get fed, fed up with me. He answers, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Do you know, if you could get that verse and you could kind of tattoo it on your heart, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've behaved, no matter what, no matter what you've left out doing, if you understood that, that you will never be rejected by Jesus. I don't think we really believe it, and that's possibly what stops us. But it appears much more to me that he has a lot more problem with the people who don't come to him. He says, woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazan. If the miracles have been performed in Sodom that have you have seen, they would have turned and repented. So the big problem is not going to be, I think, when we meet the Lord, him worrying about, you know, you did this and you did that and that. It'll be, but you never came to me. I was there, you know. And there'll be other people and you might be looking and thinking, well, but they were doing all that. But they came to me. We can't shock him. He created us. He understands our appetites. He still wants us to manage them, but he understands them. This is a high priest who sympathizes with us. The word simpatico means to actually go alongside with you. There's a difference between compassion. Compassion, you can look and say, oh, that's sad. But sympathetico, that's not quite right, um, means to actually suffer with. He suffers with. And, you know, he's not just an intercessor. He's not just his, one of his primary jobs is 24-7 intercession. He's also an advocate. What does an advocate do? He answers the accusations of the enemy. Maybe you just need to say, I've got all these accusations coming into my head. Jesus, you are my advocate. Can you advocate? I know you're advocating for me. You're praying for me, and you will answer these things. You will shut the mouth of the enemy. That's how we come to Jesus. It elicits tenderness from Jesus when we come to him regardless of what it is we're coming to him about. We have our own strange ways of thinking some sins are okay and others aren't. But you know, if you've got a child that has a disease, you, can hate, you hate the disease without hating the child, don't you? And the Puritans... I think, I'm not sure everyone understands that the Puritans, they studied, they actually uh, wrote a lot about the kindness of Jesus. And they used to, they, the way they used to write was they get one scripture and they would write it out like three or four hundred times, bringing something different out of it. 
they truly were able to hate sin without hating themselves. Now, their name probably conjures up, oh, they said, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. It wasn't. It was very much about what we do do. We come to Jesus. We understand what happened in that garden when he had to look into that and decide to take the cup of the wrath of the world. And he did it for us. And, you know, the interesting thing is we, he, suffered, he was tempted just as we are tempted. And yet he went further in the temptation because often we collapse in temptation and crash down. He probably had to endure quite a bit more temptation than us. And yet he was without sin. So he totally gets how strong temptation is. And has probably had to endure more temptation because he did endure it. Does that make sense? Whereas we must just collapse and say, no, I can't endure that anymore. So he understands he's our high priest. He was chosen as a high priest. He suffered but did not sin. He understands our weaknesses. Time and time again in the Gospels, it's the socially reviled, the inexcusable, undeserving that Jesus gravitates to. He co-suffers. You see, compassion is stronger than sympathy. I got that wrong. It moves you to your innermost core and motivates you. He was motivated to suffer on our behalf because he lived on this earth. He lived in humanity. He was motivated to go to the cross because he saw what we, our weaknesses, There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah 55, and you know, I have never seen it like this because I haven't read it in context. And it's talking about, you know, Isaiah was giving a message to the Israelites. They've been up, up to nonsense. And then he comes to them and he says, Seek the Lord where he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. And this is a verse that we don't actually integrate with what I've just said. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, never are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Often that scripture, my thoughts are not your thoughts, his thoughts are not our thoughts. You say, you know, someone's bought a house and, or something's happened or something we don't understand. That's not the context. The context is about his mercy. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he have mercy on him and to our God. For he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. They're much nicer. <laughs> They're much more merciful. You know, we, we have a yardstick of how people should be punished and how they should be treated. But he's saying he'll pardon more than we could imagine. It's not, that scripture is integrated into that. He is more merciful. Now this, you know, some people like to think the Old Testament God, we want to do away with him. This is Old Testament. The Old Testament God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ was a merciful God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. There's a lovely old hymn, and it says, um, 
father-like, he tends and spares us, uh, rescues us from all our foes. In his hands, he gently bears us. I don't know what your picture of Jesus is. I don't know what your picture of the Father God is. But you will know if you struggle to share with him your addictions. It doesn't matter what the addiction is. It's an addiction is a behavior that causes problems for you and problems for others. He understands our propensity for addiction. Addiction is a way of trying to meet the needs in us that only a relationship with Jesus Christ can meet. And even then, it's only if we'll come to him, because you can just get a big dollop of religion. I have seen people come out of alcohol and get a really nasty case of religion by becoming Christians. And that's not because there's anything wrong with Christianity, but they have swapped one thing for another without realizing that it's about his grace, it's about his mercy. And that's what heals us. Do you know when we truly believe that God loves us? And many of us, myself included, I didn't have a father to speak of. And yet at this stage of my life, I have no problem in relating to Father God. But it took a long time. And uh, even if you have a good father, that is nothing like the Heavenly Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. You want us to come to you. Some of us, we don't know how to do it, Lord. We don't even know what the first step is. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Promise, as you're part of the Trinity, that you will lead and guide us with your eye upon us. Teach us in your ways. We are strangers on the earth. Teach us what it means to come to you. To come to you. You are tender-hearted. Pascal said that God made us in his image and we return the favor. The problem is the God you've made he won't be as kind and as merciful as he really is. He'll have, he'll have earthly limits. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He's much kinder, much more merciful. But if you don't come to him, if you don't come to him, you're going to struggle for the rest of your life. It said he will never cast off who come to him. Thank you, Jesus. Could we just have some instrumental? No singing, just, and I just wonder in this time now, because I know, I know for me, I had no idea how to do it. But I wonder if just as the instrument plays, just to sit and just to be asking God in your heart, Teach me how to come to you. Teach me what it is. It can be very uncomfortable sometimes sitting in a bit of silence. The only way we overcome that is by sitting in silence. And maybe you start just with little bits. 
But I just know that Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to people. He's longing. He said, oh, how I long to gather you. How I long to gather you like a hen would gather chicks. Just allow even God to give you a picture of what that would look like between you and Jesus. Your heart laid bare with the ugliest things you've ever done. And yet to see him just tenderly embracing you. He will never cast away those who come to him.